We're in the middle of a sermon series called God in the Wild, and we're focusing on the lessons that God taught the Israelites on their journey through the wilderness. It's the wilderness is an in-between place. For the Israelites, it was the place between generations of Egyptian bondage and the promised land. It's also the place between the people that they were and the people that God had called them to become. You see, it took just a short time to leave the boundaries of Egypt, but it would take a lot longer to leave the bondage of Egypt. They could enter the promised land in probably a matter of weeks, but to become the kind of people that could truly receive the promised land, that was another matter. The wilderness is an in-between place of transformation. We're in a wilderness moment in our world, barraged by change and bound with uncertainty. But yet, I am convinced that God wants to teach us in the wilderness, to call us into a life of holiness and godly power. So we're going to be dedicating some time this week and over the next few weeks to study the lessons of the early Israelites. Now, the most prominent human figure in the wilderness journey is a man named Moses. He's the one that received the call to rescue the people from Egypt. He's the one to call out Pharaoh in his best Charlton Heston voice, let my people go. He's so central to the story that the first five books of the Bible are often known as the books of Moses. And so that got me thinking about some of my favorite stories. And most of my favorite stories involve backstories. I love backstories. In fact, I was talking to a friend the other day who loves the Hulk. You know, the big green guy, Hulk smash. His favorite stories focus on Hulk's origins. What makes Hulk the Hulk? So, what makes Moses, Moses? If we look carefully at his story, we realize that he wasn't alone in forging his own path. God worked through some unlikely people who are only briefly mentioned in the Bible. Briefly mentioned, but they shaped his destiny. Without them, Moses wouldn't have lived to even be a toddler. They are the women whose love bore courage and showed itself in sacrifice. His mother, Jochebed, his adoptive mother, the daughter of Pharaoh, his sister Miriam, and Sifra and Pua, the two servants whose maternal instinct saved the lives of countless people. And so, since it's Mother's Day, I'd like to flash back to the origin story, to the women who shaped Moses' destiny. And so for that, we're going to take a trip back in Exodus to take a look at chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 10. I invite you to hear the scriptures with me. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? 
the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a woman from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Egypt grew on the banks of the mighty Nile River. I mean, to this day, it flows through the Sudan desert, giving life to civilization in the area. For the Egyptians, the Nile was life. It gave birth to a mighty nation. Our children still read about it in history books, admiring the Sphinx and the pyramids that stand to this day and wondering how in the world did they get those rocks all the way up there. Egypt. You know, it was good for the Israelites before it was bad. Joseph, he was the son of Israel himself. He found God's favor and he rose through the royal ranks in the house of Egypt. He saved the whole region, including his family, from famine. But time passed, and we're left with this haunting line that helps open up the book of Exodus. It goes like this. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Mm. This new king despised the Israelites. He was afraid that they would outnumber the native Egyptians. And so, in the interest of national security, he tasked the Hebrews, the Israelites, to hard labor, and he ordered the murder of their baby boys. You heard what has happened. Let me, let me read that for you again. Exodus uh, chapter 1, 
Just a few verses starting at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them who was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. Hmm. It's courageous enough for these midwives to defy the king. They can't bring themselves to do it. They can't bring themselves to murder children. But you know what's braver than defying the king? is challenging him to his face. And that's precisely what they do. Out of devotion to God and the beauty of life, these two women saved the lives of countless Hebrew babies. And their act sets the stage for the unfolding of the liberation of Israel. In fact, they're so important in the eyes of the Hebrew people that they, though their role is small, are named in the text. They are forever remembered by the people of Israel and all of the people of God. Shifra and Puah, women of courage, who stood up for the right of life and who stood against tyranny and murder. Well, Pharaoh doubles down on his orders and he he orders all the newborn males not just killed but drowned in the Nile River. The river that brought life is now the river of death. Pharaoh, it seems, has power over life and death. It's a powerful man, but he made a mistake. He made a mistake. You see, he underestimated the power and the influence of just a few women who were filled with love and courage. Can you imagine finding out that you were going to have a baby after Pharaoh's death order? Well, a a woman whose name we actually don't learn until much later, she ends up in that exact terrifying position. Her name is Yaakoved, and the baby will soon be named Moses. She saw him. If you read the text, she saw him and that he was a fine child and took pity on him. So she hid him for months until she could no longer keep the sounds of his cries from giving them away. But instead of drowning him in the river like she was supposed to, she hatched a plan. You see, she waterproofed a basket with bitumen and pitch and and she placed it placed it among the reeds by the river. And her daughter, this is Moses' sister Miriam, Miriam hid close by and waited for an opportunity. And that opportunity was Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river with her attendants, and she sees that child in the basket, and she's immediately overcome with pity, and she takes to that child. You know, it turns out, that it's easier to kill and to harm and to hate people when they're just an abstract idea. But when we truly see them as human beings, that's a different story. And that's exactly what happens with Pharaoh's daughter. But watch how this plan unfolds. I love this. Miriam pops out of the bushes. Hey, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse that baby for you, uh, Princess Pharaoh? And yes, she does. And so guess what? Not only does she find someone to nurse the baby, she takes the baby back to his own mother, to Yaakoved herself, to grow up safely under her roof. 
And she even gets Pharaoh's daughter to pay her to do it. Pharaoh had a murderous plan to get rid of all the strong Hebrew men. But he drastically underestimated the power of the Hebrew women. They were the dangerous ones. Notice that there are no men in this story. These five women subverted an entire reign of terror. And that baby, that baby was named Moses, which in Hebrew is Moshe, which means delivered from the waters or deliverer from the waters. Moses, because he was plucked up out of the waters of death. And he would grow up is one of Pharaoh's own family. He would lead the people to freedom through the waters of the Red Sea. And ironically, the Egyptian people would lose their firstborn and their strong men would drown in the waters of the Red Sea. Mothers and adoptive mothers, women who invested the lives of other people can change the course of someone's destiny from death to life, from nameless to loved. You know, I'm thinking about Egypt, and there's nothing in history that has brought down the monuments that the Egyptians built. The Sphinx, she may have lost her nose, but she still stands. And so do the great pyramids built in homage to kings. But those monuments today are lifeless stones filled with the mummified remains of forgotten people. Nothing has brought them down, but they are empty of power. No matter how much power they tried to exert over people while they were living. Think about the Nile River. In the same way, nothing has changed the course of the Nile River. It actually runs in the wrong direction, rushing as it always has into the Delta and out into the Mediterranean Sea, carrying with it everything that falls into it. And for a period, those were Hebrew babies. Some things seem too big, too powerful to change. The rush of a mighty river, a stone pyramid. But in the middle of all of that, one thing changed everything for Moses, for an entire people, for us. One thing subverted an entire empire and overcame the powerful current of the Nile River. One thing, love. Love plucked Moses out of a watery grave. Love, even the love of two handmaids, the love of a mother, of a sister, of an adoptive mother, the love of individual people, no matter their station in life, can save people from the mighty waters. Life, it flows. It feels sometimes like the Nile River towards the end. And we can all feel caught up in that unbreakable current. But love subverts it. Love interrupts it. Love can pull us out of the current that takes us into nothing. You see, the love of God working through people determines destinies. The love of God working through people determines destinies. I know what it means to be plucked out of the waters of chaos. It's happened time and time again. And more often than not, God has sent 
amazing, insightful, faithful, and loving women into my life to be the instruments of that for me. They shaped my destiny. Many of you might remember when you were moving out of the safety of your own house into the currents of life on your own. I remember that. Scary times. Exciting, but boy, is it good to have people with you. My mother and my grandmother and my aunts, they helped me survive the stress and the pressures and the snares of the world because they, had, they taught me, they loved me, they had built a foundation for my life. And just a few weeks ago, I told you about Betty. I told you I'd mention her again. Betty reached out a hand to pull me from the currents of brokenness and set me back on course. I think of my mother-in-law, who is committed to loving me despite myself, and who remains one of my biggest fans, second, I think, only to my mom, and maybe third to Amanda. But that's questionable, depending on the day and my behavior. And my own wife, who God sent into my life, as an inspiration and helped bring me to faith. You see, the love of God, working through people, determines destinies. Pharaoh and the Egyptians of the Exodus period built monuments to their greatness. And today, they are reminders that their destiny was death. But love built a greater destiny than all of their might and all of their power ever could because the love of these five women determined Moses' destiny. One of them was a mother. One of them chose to be a mother. One of them was a relative who invested in her brother. The others were strangers who overcame all risk simply to invest in the lives of people they didn't even know. Everything that we know about Moses today would have drowned in the waters of the Nile River, except that love plucked him from death and set him on the course to a different destiny. Because the love of God, working through people, that determines destinies. This life-saving, destiny-determining love takes its highest form in Jesus Christ, whose own life, you'll remember, was shaped by the courageous love of his mother. Do you remember the most famous verse in all of the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, the love of God that works through Christ can determine our destiny and set us free. And the love of God working through people determines destinies. Think about this. All around us are people caught in the currents of confusion and addiction, hopelessness and sin. But their destinies don't have to be determined just yet. Just like Yaakovid and Miriam, you have the opportunity and the calling to pluck them up from the waters and lead them into a new home in the kingdom of God. To introduce them to Jesus in whom they can find the truest love ever shown to all humanity. The love of God made flesh. You can introduce them to the one who can change their life forever. Who has shaped your destiny? Was it your mother? Was it someone who showed up at the right time? 
someone who invested in you? Give thanks for the women in your life who have shaped your destiny. We have the opportunity ourselves, the same opportunity to do that. The same opportunity as Shifra and Puah, the same as Miriam and Yaakoved, the same as Pharaoh's daughter, to demonstrate the love of God in Jesus Christ and to act courageously on behalf of someone else. The greatest expression of love is Jesus. We see that working in so many ways through the women that God has put in our lives, through mothers, through women who choose to play roles of motherhood, for women who invest in people's lives that they may never even get to meet, and for people who, through the love of Jesus Christ, reach into the river and the current that is taking someone away into a destiny that leads to darkness and death and pulls them out and says, let me show you the one who can change your life. You see, the love of God working through us could determine someone's destiny. Will you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for the great love that you have shown the world in Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks that this love can change our lives. That love, even a small, small demonstration from someone we may not even know could change the course of our destiny forever. Thank you for giving us people in our lives to demonstrate your love for us, to come alongside of us, and to change the course of our lives. Father, we ask that you would fall uh, upon the people who are watching and listening and put upon our hearts somebody who is caught in the current, that we might have the courage to step out and show them love. And your love working through us could determine a new course for their destiny. Mobilize your church. Empower us that we might do for others what these five courageous and loving women did for Moses, what people have done for me, and what people have done for those listening. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. My friends, I want to invite you to open your hearts to hear from the Spirit of God. Have you felt something stir within you today? Have you heard something that struck your attention? Have you felt God calling to you? Maybe you need to be loved like God, like we have described God loving people. I want you to know that God loves you. Maybe you need to come to him and open your heart to him. Maybe you're overwhelmed with thanksgiving for somebody who is invested in your life. Maybe you're grieving the loss of someone who invested in your life. And you want God's comfort. Maybe God is calling you to be one who invests in someone else. And you sense that stirring in your spirit. Whatever God is doing in your life, don't let it pass you by. This is a powerful and important moment. And we're going to share in a moment of song to help set the stage and stir your heart that you can hear from the Holy Spirit and respond. I also invite you that on our online connection card, there's a spot for you to share with us what God is doing in your life so that we can come alongside you and invest in you too. 
take a moment as we hear Marianne sing a special song to search your heart and give your heart to God. <laughs> 